Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Sarah Eisen at Post Night of the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer and Faber have the morning off. Uh, we close out the month of August today with what could be a five-day win streak. Best week for the S&P since June as July core PCE prints in line. Spending solid as well. Ten-year pretty subdued right around 410. Our road this morning uh, begins with the Fed's preferred inflation gauge. What core PCE results might mean for interest rate policy. Also this morning, shares of Salesforce jumping after quarterly results and guidance exceed forecasts as the company rides the AI wave. On the flip side, add Dollar General to the list of stocks hit by this month's retail route, tumbling on a quarterly miss and lowered outlook. Let's get to the markets and that batch of inflation data. We've been waiting all week for core PCE. Uh, 3.3 in line, a little bit hotter than the prior month. Add to that uh, consumer spending, eight-tenths, uh, second-best number of the year going back to January. Pretty nice mix here. No? We knew spending was going to be good because we knew we saw an acceleration in spending in July for retail sales. The question is, is it temporary? Is it just the Barbenheimer effect, right? We know that people have been spending at the movie theater more than we've seen on Barbie and Oppenheimer. We know they've been spending on tickets like Taylor Swift. By the way, I'm four minutes in line we're on gonna, AMC We're going to get to that. <laughs> right now with this movie coming out in October. But, but that's, that's the question. And as far as inflation, pretty much in line, adds to the evidence, I would say, this week. And we got the revised 2Q GDP, which included the PCE deflator, which showed a step down yesterday, and some weaker economic data overall. All of that paints a picture, Carl, of a Federal Reserve that is likely to pause in September. And market feels good about that right now. You've seen a bid for bonds and a bid for stocks. As a result, we're off those highs of, what, 4.3 on the 10-year yield, and that's important psychologically. It shows the data may be, may be changing. Look, inflation data is more important than economic data, but if we see both continue to moderate, bond market seems to like it. Yeah, so uh, do stocks. Uh, J.P. Morgan's note this morning suggesting that given the data flow and some positioning within treasuries, you might be looking at a picture where rates decline a little bit further from here. There's the 10-year, as Sarah points out. Actually got to 4098 uh, uh, earlier uh, this morning. And, of course, the Fed speak continues today. We'll get Collins, or actually we're getting Collins on the tape. But remember what Harker told Steve last week about waiting for these hikes to work their way into the economy. Uh, the lag's pretty significant. And now you got Bostic sort of echoing that. Take a listen. I feel policy is appropriately restrictive. I think we should be cautious and patient and let the restrictive policy continue to influence the economy lest we risk tightening too much and inflicting unnecessary pain. That does not mean that I am for easing policy anytime soon. He goes on to say underlying inflation may well be close to our target already. That's about as dovish as it gets, though. And he's a non-voter. So just take it with a grain of salt. But yes, he has been known to come out, be out front and sway some of the opinions on the Federal Reserve. I think the close call is now going to be on November. Do they feel they need to hike again in November or are they feeling like Bostic is feeling? Let's see what the lags look like. We're starting to really see some economic weakness, nothing pronounced in terms of a recession or anything, but we know the lags can be long and variable, and that's what the Federal Reserve has been banking on. That's what history shows us about more than 500 basis points of tightening. The bigger question is why hasn't it worked so far? I think the jobs report tomorrow will be sort of an interesting test because we are expecting a weaker number 
cooling of job gains, but still healthy job growth. We got we saw that evidence in the job openings data, which showed a decline into the 8 million, but there's still more job openings than there are unemployed people. Expectations are in the 170s for job growth, but you do have some weird things happening in August. You had the trucker bankruptcy, for instance, but at the same time, strength in the retail area. So that'll be, that'll be this is the last PCE before the next Fed meeting. We are going to get a CPI report before the next Fed meeting, and this this is the final jobs report before that meeting yeah, as well. Yeah, uh, that estimate for tomorrow in the low 170s would be a 32-month low. I was struck yesterday by Goldman sticking by 149, uh, Morgan Stanley at 155. Uh, you're right that they're having to strip out strikers, and there's yellow, so a bunch of uh, cross right, currents. The writer's strike in yeah. Hollywood, yep. cer- certainly part of the, the story there. But I think a lot of people are starting to watch the Citigroup Economic Surprise Index again, which is... It measures where the data points come in relative to where Wall Street expects them, and they're down. You know, as, as here, here's the payroll forecast, Morgan Stanley even weaker at 155 on private payrolls. But as far as the Economic Surprise Index, Vital Knowledge points out it's now down 50% in the last month with a two, slew of data points signaling momentum. Market seems okay if we're seeing a loss in economic momentum as long as we're not seeing a recession. And then again, and then you wonder, how does it fit in with Savita Subramanian of Bank of America saying that this is the trough in earnings and she likes what she's seeing on guidance, on capital spending, on margins in particular this quarter? Yeah. Savita had a treasure trove of information this morning about corporate sentiment uh, getting better, one of the biggest bounces in uh, in several quarters. They, they do think this is trough earnings. Uh, good guidance on CapEx because there's so much reshoring going on, uh, years of underinvestment, lots of incentives in place. Really, the only area where she thinks things are lacking are buybacks because they're spending so much on CapEx and, uh, and, and debt servicing as well. Which, which ultimately is bullish. Absent a collapse in demand, she says 2Q likely marks the trough on earnings question mark around that collapse in demand. Let's turn to Salesforce, though. That's going to help the Dow today. Biggest gainer this morning, now up more than 70% for the year. Quarterly results and guidance both exceed Wall Street estimates. Gets a big boost from AI. Here's CEO Mark Benioff on the conference call last night. We are at the dawn of an AI revolution. And as I've said, it's a new innovation cycle that is sparking a massive tech buying cycle over the coming years. It's also a new tech investment cycle. We are very thirsty to make sure that Salesforce is the number one AI CRM, and we have done a lot organically to do that in the last six months. Of course, there's things out there that we could do to help us with inorganic as well. We're looking at those things. Well, it was all about AI, Carl. What actually impressed the street was the the margin story, which continues to be the huge improvement story since all the activists were in the stock. Dan Ives of Webbush calls it Djokovic-like performance. Momentum is back in the story, takes his price target to 255, even with some of the macro weakness. That was some of the skepticism going into this report because they're vulnerable when IT spending pulls back, but 11% growth was better than the 10% expected, and management seems confident they can continue double-digit. Uh, yeah, that margin guidance was sort of the holy grail getting back to, to 30. I think the note out of Ray J today was too legit to quit. Uh, Goldman reiterates a buy. They see, I think, a 50-plus percent upside. And then you saw what Kramer tweeted, that there's going to be a round of analysts who doubted their ability to get margins back to this level, and they're going to be issuing mea culpas. Or maybe they won't, in Jim's view. It kind of, they kind of already are, actually, when it, when it comes to the analyst community. The other thing, and I read the investment note letter that Jim 
put out last night on this on this name since he's been all over it and such a strong believer in it. He noted, and nobody else noted this, the revenue attrition rate stayed low at 8%, a sign that enterprise customers cannot afford to leave Salesforce's mission-critical software, he says. Um, because, you know, the, the, the macro commentary did note what's happening and some of the weakness. Amy Weaver, the CFO, for instance, talked about elongated sales cycle, additional deal approval layers, deal compression in our subscription and support and professional services business. Clients have been more careful, she said, since July 2022. So that, that's an issue for Salesforce, but you can see they're cutting. I mean, first of all, they're doing, they've done layoffs, so that, that, that helps, and they've been cutting administrative expenses, um, research and development as a percentage of revenue, all declining. So all of that is what's leading to the, what, 30% plus operating margins, which has come a lot faster, I think, than the street has expected. Yeah, three quarters faster, at least, than, than CRM themselves had figured. And it kind of just feeds to this ongoing uh, string of solid results in software in general. Last week, uh, you saw some decent results. Cisco was interesting as well. HPE yesterday. Okta. And then Okta today, uh, raising their guide by a third. Even CrowdStrike, not as dramatic a pre-market gainer, uh, but the pretty nice beat with revenue ahead as well. That's going to help. I mean, if you're worried about the IT spending environment, which always pulls back during recessions, companies' willingness and ability to spend to upgrade their software and their products, it does feel like whether it's AI or continued shift into the cloud, it's holding up better than expected. And it has been sort of one of those wild cards. And a lot of those quarters prove that point. B of A has a, they're starting to track actual use cases. Uh, because we talk so much you know, sort of generically about what this is going to do for corporates, but they're starting to sort of, yeah, delineate hard use cases. I think one example was Meta out ro uh, rolling out chat bots where you can choose your own personality. So they don't, they don't all come equal. Hmm. Uh, you can, I don't know what you that means. You can ponder that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think it helps with the, with the market's view. Now it's the monetization. Right. What does that look like? So Salesforce is going to host Dreamforce in, I don't know, the ne next month, in the next few weeks. And so that, that's the lingering question about what, what kind of growth that will drive. Because that's not even priced in at this point. So far, they're being rewarded for the improved profitability. Right. Also, uh, struck by Benioff's uh, constructive comments about San Francisco. Uh, becoming what he called the AI. the AI capital of the world. Yeah, uh, It is the last trading day of the month, as we said. S&P is on pace for its first negative month in five, but riding this four-day win streak as we get into September. How should investors be preparing for the new month ahead? Wolf Research Chief Investment Strategist Chris Senyx with us here at Post 9 to celebrate the end of this month. Although we might trim our losses for the month to what, a percent or so, right? Yeah, I mean, we came into the week you know, oversold and we had some better economic data in terms of the lower, uh, you know, jobs openings. And I think that was enough fuel to put the market higher here. You know, September, we all know, is a very challenging month. October is, for that matter, as well. And it's conference season. And there's going to be a lot of corporate managements that are out there talking starting next week. And we'll hear what they have to say, because I think the economy, we all know and we all agree, the economy has slowed over the last month or so. So you're, you're nervous about the commentary. We were just talking about sort of the the analysis of call transcripts for Q2, where sentiment had gotten a little bit better, at least by one estimate. I think it's a bifurcated economy. I think on the one hand, the consumer's slowing, and that's what we think the biggest theme from now to the year end is going to be, is will the consumer slow enough that the market shifts from soft landing narrative to recession-worry narrative? And then I think in tech, with these more stable business models, whether it's a Salesforce or Microsoft, or others are seeing the secular trend from AI, I think they're benefiting and, and they're almost a little bit becoming sort of acyclical at, at the moment at least.
It's interesting. You know, we had the visa payment volume for the most recent month up seven, which was better than the prior month up five. But then you have the savings rate back to three five, and you've got challenger layoffs tripling month to month. Like, is how do you? I mean, which, which is heavier? Uh, the, the constructive stuff or the, the harmful stuff? We're worried about the consumer as we get into the fall here. You've got the student loan repayments restarting in October. Um, you've got companies looking at year-end to, to make their numbers and cut costs. Uh, and you have the excess savings by all accounts, it, no matter how you measure it, finally dwindling down. Um, it's shocking what happened to these sentiment surveys, both institutional investors and individual investors, after uh, a drawdown in the NASDAQ of 8%, right? They, they, they really fell. And that shows you, to me, how sensitive spending is to not only the stock market, but gas and food prices. But Chris, and, and I read your notes because they're very good, you've been cautious on the consumer from the beginning of the year and cautious on the stock market as well. August was a down month, but we're still looking at gains of more than 17% year-to-date. So the economy didn't surprise you in terms of the resilience and change your forecast? The economy has surprised the upside, right? It looked, at the end of last year, it looked like we we're going to go into recession. And then the consumer came out and spent. And the trends that were in place in the first half of the year, which I think are really two, is the excess savings drawdown, which we underestimated the extent to which consumers would do that and tap home equity loans and tap credit cards. Um, and then secondly, when the Fed came in and rescued the banks in March, that added fuel to the fire. And then you throw in NVIDIA's upside guidance in, in early May, and that was the ingredients for uh, a very strong market. We just don't see those trends in the back half of the year. You have liquidity going out, right, as the Fed um, draws down the balance sheet. You have the consumer slowing for the aforementioned reasons before. Um, and I don't know what the impetus is going to get the economy to reaccelerate. But even if we see weakness, as you're describing, into the fall, do you think we can get away with the soft landing, non-recession, with the Federal Reserve stopping to raise rates? Because that's the sort of Goldilocks scenario that the market has latched onto, which has helped stocks and bonds lately. Yeah, so I think over the near term, the market's going to view this bad news as good news scenario. As we get into Q4, I think as people start to recalibrate the soft landing narrative to a recession being more eminent or possible. So you don't buy it? You think I don't it's buy it. I don't buy it at all. I think it's I, I, I think it's a false narrative, and I don't see it happening in the back. So are there pockets within, within equities where you can sort of play out that thesis? Yeah, I mean, we like energy. Energy is our favorite sector. Rig counts are down. It's been a strong group. The valuations are still cheap. We like the big seven tech as a as a barbell hedge. Like, I think discretionary is a hornet's nest right now, right? You know, companies are missing here and there. So I think you have to kind of barbell it. Energy, tech, discretionary, you know, energy tech and then discretionary and industrials and, and some of the more defensive groups on the other side. Um, tech can work, I think, over the near term as long as companies can make their numbers and beat them, right? I get worried as we get into the late in the year that tech companies start to give more cautious guidance. And I think when they give that more cautious guidance, the stocks are very much priced for perfection. So you have a market where the VIX is sitting around a 13 handle. Uh, the market's trading at 18 or 19 times forward earnings. Stocks are very much still priced for perfection into a seasonally weak period of time, just not the time to really extend risk out here. You, you are right about conference season next week. Uh, Communicopia and a bunch of others uh, will be on watch for tape bombs. Uh, Chris, good to see you. Thanks, Have Sarah. a good weekend. We appreciate it. You too. Still to come, what did you, what did you call retail just now? A, tra a train? Hornet's, Hornet's nest. Hornet's nest. Okay, we're going to hit that Hornet's nest of retailers, including Dollar, Dollar General, which is the biggest S&P loser so far this morning. Taking a look at futures overall, final trading day in the month of August. For the month, stocks are down about 1.6%, though it looks like we're going to end on a high note. Dow futures rising 
147 points. NASDAQ, though, under pressure. More Squawk on the Street when we come right back. A few retailers out with results this morning, including Dollar General, tumbling on an earnings miss, lowering guidance. Similar story for Five Below, at least on the guidance front, lowering its guidance to account for shrink. But Signet Jewelers bucking the trend, moving higher after topping earnings estimates. With a number of retailers warning of weakening demand and spending declines, I did have a chance recently to speak exclusively with authentic brand CEO Jamie Salter. They have all sorts of consumer brands. I always listen to him what he says about the consumer and retail. He downplayed fears of a slowdown. Haven't played the sound before. Listen to what Jamie Salter says. The overall consumer, where are we at right now? Are things moving a little slower? I would say that things are moving a little bit slower here in America, but not... Not recessionary? Not recession. And there's other retailers like a TJ Maxx, okay, which is doing incredibly well. I mean, you, you can see it by their numbers. Uh, Costco, incredibly well. So the landscape is changing a little bit where people are shopping. So people are still really shopping. They're just going to different places to buy their consumer, you know, product today. Um, do I think we're anywhere close to recession? I don't. And from a global standpoint, there's lots of pockets around the world that are booming. Uh, you can go to Southeast Asia, the numbers are sort of through the roof. Um, so it really depends, you know, if you ask me specifically, you know, how's business in China? I tell you, actually, China is moving slower than America. Um, no, we see that in the data. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm quite uh, optimistic that, you know, we're going to go through this. The biggest problem I think we're having right now is interest rates. And, you know, interest rates, people look at interest rates. So the first thing that you do is, you know what, I can get 6% at the bank right now. I'm going to take my money out of the stock market. I'm going to put it in the bank. I can sleep at nighttime. Jamie Salter, that was part of that interview with the, the heads of Sheehan and Simon Property when they did that deal last week. And, and I wanted to play that, Carl, because he has so many brands, Aeropostale, Reebok. You know, they, brand, they bought a lot of the trouble brand, Barney's New York Forever 21. It has a really good sense, says consumers slowing a little bit in the U.S., but not recessionary which I just thought was interesting because there's a lot of noise right now with retail, whether it's shrink, hurting margins. You know, we heard that from Five Below, got a little bit of that from Dollar General. The DPS. Dollar General store customer in particular is a little challenged right now. We saw that in the comps and the traffic numbers. So it's not easy to figure out exactly what's happening. There's not one straight narrative with the consumer. No, I, you can easily make a list of the blowups in the last week or two. Foot Locker, the dollar stores, DKS, uh, Macy's, Nordstrom, even... Um Campbell's, which we'll talk about later from a margin standpoint, uh, but whether it's shrink, whether it's the comments about delinquencies, um, whether it's margins, really the, the best thing that they've got going perhaps is that a lot of the destocking has uh, is out of the way. And uh, you, you might be going into a holiday period where you don't have to be quite as promotional, and maybe that helps the transports a bit as well. I think I'll be watching Lululemon after the bell today because that has been an outperformer solidly, but there's always a little caution going in on the Lululemon quarters, if they can continue to show that they double-digit growth, raise their guidance, or at least reaffirm their guidance, that, you know, a lot of the, the, the Bank of America trading notes says that'll put them in the stratosphere of TJX, where they're just executing better, and then in, they're in the right they're in the right categories right now for the consumer. Raw stores, TJX, 
We'll see about Lululemon uh, tonight. There are parts of retail that are working where the consumer demand has held up. I, I just got back from Vegas, Carla, and I know this is not retail necessarily, but you would never know there's a consumer slowdown there. The numbers there are unbelievable, and they're not seeing any signs of slowdown. That's interesting, because we have seen And it's some, 110 degrees. I know. We've seen some cautious comments on the airlines, at least, and lodging uh, going into Q4. I got want to hear more about that. I guess what happens Vegas? in Vegas stays, stays in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> I, I stay at the roulette table. No, I was actually there working on a project. Yes, yes. Uh, we'll take a quick break here. Uh, we'll get uh, one more look here at the futures as we close out the month of August. NASDAQ has settled back into the red, but obviously the Dow is going to be helped by Salesforce. And we will get to Sarah's favorite story of the morning as Taylor Swift brings her concert to movie theaters. AMC is up 17% pre-market. <laughs> when we come back. Dow futures pointing to a strong start uh, for Wall Street today. Thanks in part to Salesforce. Stock surging 9% week to date. And it's up a bunch this morning on the back of earnings. 3M, Apple, Verizon, Caterpillar rounds up your top gainers on the Dow so far for the week. Opening bell just moments away. Watch Shopify this morning uh, rallying after announcing this new partnership with Amazon. Uh, the tech giant is releasing an app in Shopify's network that will allow merchants access to Amazon's buy with Prime option uh, within the Shopify network. Uh, you can see the share is going to open up about 7%. Also, Canaccord today says they met with management. Uh, the setup is, is good. They say e-commerce is a secular growth space and Shopify has become the de facto standard for small and medium-sized businesses. Uh, they go from $60 to $70. And on this deal, they say they like that. They like it because it keeps Shopify's own checkout and payments, but also utilizes Amazon's, what they say, best-in-class fulfillment and delivery capabilities, which can only be additive to their merchant GMV, which is, of course, their, their key metric on Shopify. They also say that it seems like Shopify merchants are outpacing broader consumer spending, signs of a slowdown in broader spending, but they haven't heard that from Shopify. Interesting. Uh, we'll watch that uh, along with the opening bell here in the CNBC Real-Time Exchange. At the big board, it is oil and gas company Park Pacific celebrating its fifth listing anniversary. And at the NASDAQ, it's the Jed Foundation with the mission of preventing teen suicide. So we'll see how we open up here, back above 4,500. By the way, yesterday's close was the first close above 4,500 since August 7th. Um, and we'll see if the Bulls can hang on to what's been a pretty dramatic win streak over the last four days, maybe five. Looks like we're opening up with every sector higher, except for consumer staples and real estate. So that's a good sign. Um, information technology is up 0.3%. Stock story of the morning just became AMC, uh, the, the entertainment, the movie company. It's up more than 7% now pre-market. This after a Taylor Swift tweet where she tweeted that her Eras Tour movie is coming to theaters in October, and she tweeted a link to AMC. I only had a four-minute wait before the show started, so it wasn't like crazy breaking the internet, which is a good sign, but also a sign that AMC is getting in on the Taylor action, which is only bullish. Right. Is it just AMC? Because IMAX is exactly. up two and a quarter. Maybe, yeah. but the tweet link was to AMC theaters for signing up for tickets. I'm trying to reach out to Adam Aaron to find out if it's exclusive, what the deal is. Either way, this is part of the story. It's part of the macro story as well. You know, we got these personal spending numbers. They were strong. 
for the month. And, and there are questions about whether we're really seeing a reacceleration of spending in July or if it's just factors like Barbie, Oppenheimer, which we know is capturing a lot of spend, Taylor Swift tickets, Beyonce tickets, which are like averaging $2,000, crazy, crazy prices for some of these tickets. Uh, Morgan Stanley says the unwinding of these events, combined with the expiration of the student debt moratorium, 1.4% downside to real PCE in the fourth quarter of 2023. Of course, that would be perversely good news for the market because it, it would signal that the Federal Reserve wouldn't have to do more raising interest rates to deal with potentially rising inflation if it's just a temporary boost this summer because of these phenomena. All right. That is interesting. Uh, it would be, you know, given the fact that the the strike in Hollywood, the strikes in Hollywood have not really give us any clue that there's any resolution in the near term. It would be interesting to see the movie theaters try to incorporate the strength that we've seen in, in live performances, if they can find a way to, to make that some of their content going into a year where we really don't know what's good. We've already seen releases pushed back because of the strike. At some point, it's going to start hurting the movie theaters, but I, I think we have to wait a few, a few more months before we start to really hear that. At the time being, it's helping a lot of these production companies in their terms of their cost cutting, and that's been that's been something that investors have cheered. You know, one stock that I wanted to hit here in the early action is Campbell Soup, which reported earnings today. It was actually a beat on organic revenue growth, and uh, the company's guidance also looked strong. This was the first time they put out full-year guidance for the next year. It came in above expectations. Stock's up about 3% here in the early action. We're going to talk to Mark Klaus, the CEO of Campbell Soup, later in, in the show in the 11 o'clock hour. The strength, though, is in snacks more than meals and beverages. That was a big performer. And then pricing is still what's driving the growth up 10%, while volumes were actually down 5%. So we'll talk to him about just how much more pricing power they have. But generally, food stocks have not been a good place to be in this market because Wall Street's worried about the ability to maintain this double-digit pricing, right, as, as the costs come down for food items and, and as consumers slow down. And then the middle of the store always gets a bad rap because... It's just not where consumer tastes are. But so far, they're putting up pretty decent numbers yeah. and, and suggesting that, that they feel confident in the future. What's organic for the year? Guidance like one, maybe? Something yeah, like that? Uh, to negative. Yeah. I think they put out a negative number to, to 1%, which was a little bit weaker than expected. We'll talk to Mark about what, he, what he's seeing from the consumer and why he expects that. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to compare that in terms of the consumer mindset with what's happening with Chewy today. Of course, we had concerns about Petco uh, last week, uh, but Chewy comes in this morning with an EBITDA beat, uh, revenue in line. They reiterate the guide, but Evercore cuts to in line. They go from 53 to 35. The result or the report is titled Time to Put on the Leash. Uh, if Chewy can't hold 22 and change here, that would take you back to early 2020, essentially erasing uh, any of the the boom that we got from COVID when everybody got a pet. And I liked that Evercore note because it was basically, we've been wrong on our on our overweight call. The stock has big time underperformed the market so far this year, down 23% into the print. They're down another 11.5% today. What the market didn't like about this is that the net ads in Q2, there was a decline of 52,000 after a modest increase in, in Q1. Also, the outlook for net ads in the second half wasn't exactly what, what the market wanted to see. And so that's part of the downgrade today and also part of the, the sort of negative vibe on the stock, even though the numbers weren't that bad. And they said, yeah, we're not immune to sort of the macro weakness on pet spending. But so far, it's been very strong. Yeah. Costco, same uh, similar vein uh, as core. Uh, August comps come in pretty much in line, uh, about 3-2. Um, watch Visa as well. We've been talking about 
the uh, increases in these fees, interesting piece in the journal today that suggests that merchants might have to pay maybe an additional $500 million a year in fees as a result of these increases. But the other big news out of Visa, of course, is payment volume for August up seven versus up five in July. Kind of points to your, uh, whether they're relying on the credit part uh, is, is difficult to tell. We know that Amer more Americans are using credit cards now, and, and we don't know how, how problematic that is. It could just be a sign that you know, we're sort of back to pre-COVID levels and that the savings are dwindling. We saw that in the savings rate, went down to 3.5% today in the, in the PCE numbers. The other one I wanted to hit, since we're talking about consumer and spending and trying to figure it out, is Signet Jewelers, uh, which I always watch. They had a beat, and also they maintained their guidance, which was very important. Stock is higher by 8.5%. So these stocks are really getting rewarded when they come in better than expected. Um, heard from Jenna Drosos, the CEO, this morning uh, in a note to me. She wrote that she feels good about, about guidance, confidence in the full-year guidance, believe that engagements, and here's the key, she told me, are on track to begin their recovery in Q4. And she also said we're seeing modest improvement in trends in purchasing behavior since June, with lower price points rebounding, particularly in fashion. So there's the color commentary that the street was looking for as far as things improving. We know, and she's been talking to us about the fact that engagements were, were way down because of the COVID trends. Um, they put some numbers on it, actually. Engagements uh, down 25% than a typical pre-COVID year. 2.1 to 2.2 million in 2023 in the U.S. They'd see signs that that's changing. It's, gonna, it's changing and troughing, Q4 looks like, and they do this whole proprietary sort of study of all the factors that would lead to couples getting engaged. They have 45 different signals they look at on couples. They say 27 of them are flashing milestones that people are going to get engaged. There's the comments from, from Jenna Drosos and the fact that, that we <laughs> I've, think I've got to see what they feed into that model. I know. I have, I have no idea. But apparently 27 milestones improved by 700 basis points. So engagements are on track for a multi-year recovery. <laughs> so we'd be looking at a big wedding season next summer, I assume. Yeah? Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and for years to come, which is obviously so key and so, so critical in the, in, the, in the Signet business. And also the fashion jewelry, the fact that you know, fashion merchandise below $1,000 is, is yeah. coming back and, strongly. And, and travel and lodging and all of that as well. Uh, China's a big story this morning. Um, piece in the FT today that uh, President Xi, according to some Western leaders, is not going to go to the G20 in India, uh, that these tensions with Modi are, are really beginning to assert themselves and that uh, India is coming around to the view, the obvious view, I guess, among, among some, that uh, their, their ascendance is not going to go unnoticed uh, by Beijing. By the way, India G GDP 7-8 uh, kind of puts China to shame. Uh, interesting note at Goldman as well yesterday that their prime brokerage data shows that there was a lot of capitulatory selling on Chinese ADRs in the first three weeks of August, and they'd be looking for that to inflect higher. Also, cutting some mortgage rates in, in China on the heels of Raimondo's visit. We're going to speak to Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo in the next hour of Squawk on the Street. Looking forward to this interview because a lot's been made of her trip, but what deliverables does she expect? She did use the word uninvestable when over there in describing how some American companies and, and investors are feeling about China these days on, on some of the regulatory uncertainty and the economic weakness. So we'll see what she learned from Chinese leadership. She spent a lot of time. As far as the data is concerned, we did get two data points overnight. The PMI series, unexpected improvement 
in factory activity, but still below 50. So still not expanding, but 49.7 was better than the 49.3 expected. The non-manufacturing numbers in China slipped a little more than anticipated, so it was kind of a mixed bag. But they're improved, but they're in expansion mode at least at 51 from 51.5. Doesn't really do anything to calm fears about the Chinese economy right now, but. It also doesn't show necessarily collapse. And it's mixed. I, I'm, you know, I mentioned Lulu before. Lulu's reporting after the bell. They've seen such strength in places like China because they're kind of new there and they're, they're, they've seen a rebound. Ralph Lauren has seen strength in China as well. So it's not, it's not a straight picture of all-out weakness. There is spending and it's domestic spending. And you can see that in the services number versus the trade numbers on manufacturing. All right. um, we continue to monitor the damage out of uh, Hurricane Adalia in Florida as it makes its way through that state to the Carolinas and Georgia. Interesting uh, assessments in the journal this morning about potentially uh, the insured losses maybe just south of $10 million, which wouldn't quite put it in the top 10 of all U.S. hurricanes in history. Um, maybe a little bit less damage than feared because it hit landfall in a sparsely populated uh, area of the state. Could have been a lot worse. We'll continue oh. to monitor that, of course. Um, just as far as other movers beyond the insurers, Brown Foreman is one to watch after you know, a terrible reaction to a miss on earnings. We did have some analysts coming in to defend this stock, so I was curious where it would be trading this morning. Morgan Stanley believes that the, that the big decline yesterday was a buying opportunity, a good entry point, and they see increased conviction of some of the tenants of their recent upgrade of this stock. And number one is that agave prices are down. So even though we're starting to see alcohol, and this is a big secular trend that we're going to watch about whether alcohol consumption moves lower because of health concerns, because younger generations just aren't as into it, because COVID marked a marked an increased period of drinking. Um, but they do say that tequila is outperforming and that the lower agave prices should really help on the margin story for Brown Foreman. Looks like it's lower again. <laughs> uh, speaking of sort of sin names, uh, you saw the news about cannabis yesterday uh, where HHS is going to ask uh, DEA to look at potentially downgrading uh, cannabis to a Schedule 3 from Schedule 1. MSOS is the ticker on the advisor shares cannabis ETF. Hasn't done much for a very long time, as you probably know, uh, but did pop. Uh, and yesterday, we'll see if it holds. If levels getting back to the 200-day average on that ETF, which it hadn't really been at since December of last year. Uh, so interesting times. And any piece of good news on the regulatory front will just bring these stocks to life because they're so they're 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 hated and they've underperformed and this whole concept of of legalization in the US has been pushed out and on the back burner. So any sign that there's some momentum here is good, especially for the big ones like Tilray, for instance, and Canopy. So 45, 25, let's say, to start uh, this Thursday. Let's get to Bob Bassani. Hey, Bob. Morning, guys. Uh, PCE data generally supportive of the soft landing. We'd like to see a little more aggression uh, on reduc reduction of uh, inflation, but generally pretty good. And the broadening out story is sort of coming back in the last few days. So you see tech, communication services, and consumer discretionary. This was the leadership groups, the three leadership groups in the first half of August fell back a little bit uh, in the second half. In the last few days, they've been coming back as the data has been more supportive of the soft landing. Uh, banks, which uh, did not have a generally good month, are looking a little bit better. Uh, healthcare was a very good early performer in the first few weeks of August, uh, slipping back a little bit here. If you look at the movers today, uh, fairly broad. 
proof of stocks moving up. Verizon's had a very good week so far. Nike, Caterpillar's also been strong. Uh, Microsoft and Salesforce, of course, good earnings there from Salesforce, all helping. If you take a look at the for the month, remember, this is the last day of the month, uh, and it's a sort of uh, interesting evolution, shall we call it. Energy and healthcare were big movers in the first half of August. Technology generally was moving down. That's kind of reversed now. In the last six, seven trading sessions, technology's made a bit of a comeback. Uh, energy faltered a little bit because oil came down in the middle of the month. Uh, banks had a very rough month overall and are still ending uh, among the worst uh, uh, sectors to the downside here. So we've kind of had a, a, a tale of two months here. In the first half of the month, we had stronger data, we had higher rates, and we had lower stocks. And then in the second half, we've had the Goldilocks data, we've had stable to lower rates, and stocks have been rallying as a result of that. The big issue for earnings, and this is where I come in for the stocks guy, is how far can earnings support these, these markets moving to the upside? And as you can see, uh, in the Bank of America people, we're talking about this this morning, second quarter was the trough, and the estimates now have been steadily rising for the third and the fourth quarter, and into 2024, we're at $60. This is how you get to $240, uh, essentially, for 2024 earnings estimates versus, oh, you know, somewhere around 218 or so for 2023. So you can see, Carl, that the estimates are rising steadily here. Uh, the estimates increases somewhere in the 10% range. The important thing is it's still an expensive market. We're trading still for more than 19 times forward earnings for the next four quarters. That's a very expensive multiple. So earnings have to move up a little bit more to make the market enticing from a valuation perspective. Carl, back to you. All right, Bob, thanks for that. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Morgan Stanley uh, among the firms coming out to react to this morning's uh, consumption data and spending data, uh, looking at uh, Q3 GDP of 1.9, which is way south of what Atlanta Fed, obviously. Where are they still? 5.9? Still? Yeah, that five, was last week. Yeah, almost 5.9. They're going to have to adjust it after the spending data today, but it, it did come in, yep. in line. That might be the high watermark. Meanwhile, a little more data on tap today. Chicago PMI. Let's get back to Rick Santelli. Hey, Rick. Hi, Carl. This is very, very fun day to hear. There's a lot of asterisks. This is an August read for Chicago PMI, expected to be 44.2. It's well better at 48.7. And that's under 50. It's under 50 for the 12th consecutive month. Haven't been above 50 since August of last year, one year. And what's ironic is 48.7 is still the highest level since one, year's ago, one year ago's reading of 51.9, the last time it was above 50. So we've had a lot of sub-50 soft readings. We could see interest rates have moved up a bit since the 8.30 release of some of those data points. The significant issues continue to be that inflation is moderating, but some of those core year-over-year -year numbers are moving down like helium balloons with a slow leak. Squawk on the street will return after a short break. Pretty decent mix of gainers here at the open. Western Dig's going to lead you up about 5.5%, along with uh, Micron and Broadcom also in the top 15, let's say. Almost every sector is green, with the exception of healthcare staples and energy. Dow off the initial highs, but still up 103. And by the way, don't forget, it is back to school week on Mad Money. Jim is continuing a special week of shows dedicated to his rules of investing and some of the lessons that he's learned over the years. Make sure you tune in tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Meanwhile, we're back in a moment. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. It has been a slow few years for the IPO market, but with names like Instacart and Arm Holdings announcing plans to go public, 
could this IPO drought be coming to an end? Our Leslie Picker joins us with more. Morning, Leslie. Hey, good morning, Sarah. A lot of people hope it is. I sat down with Alan Waxman, CEO and co-founder of Sixth Street, for our Delivering Alpha newsletter out today. His firm has a sizable presence in growth investing, having made billion-dollar-plus investments in Spotify and Airbnb before each of those went public. So I asked Waxman where we are in the IPO cycle and whether he expects the window to open soon. He said we're in the seventh inning of the cycle. We've already started to see a real pickup uh, in our pipeline as people, ultimately commerce has to go. Mm -hmm. You know, you can only extend the runway for so long and ultimately there are growth opportunities out there and I think I think people are starting to look for capital and picking their heads up and obviously having the IPO market open a little bit, a little bit of a small crack that obviously helps and sort of gets commerce moving again and our expectation is for 2024, volumes will be higher, I don't want to say much higher, it's hard to call right now, but I would say materially higher than they were in 2023. He said this year the challenge was that startups, quote, withheld from looking for new capital because the valuations aren't quite what they were in 2021. But he adds at some point they'll have to come back for more financing. For more of Waxman's thoughts, including whether private credit is in a bubble, whether we're out of the woods from a recession, very uh, common topics on this show in particular, you can subscribe to our newsletter using the QR code that you see there on your screen. The full interview will be sent out later today, guys. Leslie, on the IPO front, just wondering how these companies are positioning and their bankers are positioning them potentially differently in an era of of rising rates. The the cornerstone investment from PepsiCo, for instance, on Instacart, whether that's a sign, whether you're seeing better better fundamentals like profits out of some of these companies set to go public. Just curious because they're aware of what's happening in the overall environment and still decided to pull the trigger. No, you're spot on. How can you go public in this current environment and make it as risk-free as possible for the startup and the investors involved. Cornerstone investors, anchor investors, um, as they're known more here in the U.S., that's a big big component of it because it makes for fewer shares that you need to actually sell to um, the buy side because you've got enough locked up by these cornerstone investors. Um, Profitability, an important component of that because it makes it easier for uh, the buy side to be able to model that out using discounted cash flows and kind of more traditional models as opposed to just, you know, looking at Uh, the top line and the potential for growth. Um, And then, you know, part of it just also has to do with the the way that these deals are marketed. Obviously, uh, AI-related companies have seen a bit of a boon this year. So you've seen that with Arm, uh, as well as just the the tech component of Instacart as well, their advertising and technology as being a big part of this deal. So all of those combined are helpful in this current environment. And then, of course, there's just the need for these individual companies to go right now. Yeah, I mean, it just feels totally different than the last cycle was, what, 2020, 2021, Rent the Runway, yeah. Robin uh, Hood, DoorDash, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Airbnb, Sweetgreen, there were a lot of them. Yes. Leslie, thank you. <laughs> Leslie Pickard. And by the way, join us for Delivering Alpha, our Investor Summit in New York City, September 28th. We're going to convene investors and leaders, as we do, to provide insights, ideas, and analysis to help you balance this risk with maximized return. Scan the QR code on your screen, or you can visit cnbcevents.com slash delivering alpha. Still to come this morning, as Sarah said earlier, the Commerce Secretary in her first broadcast interview since returning from that four-day trip in China. A lot to talk with her about. Meanwhile, uh, break-even for August is 45.88, just a little under 60 points away. S&P's up about 13. Back in two. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. 
All opinions expressed by the Squawk on the Street participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information Squawk on the Street participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer.